In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have an amazing guest here with me. Kuda, how are you, my friend? I'm doing wonderful, Pamela. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I am pumped because there is so much that I want to talk to you about today and hear your story and everything about Nunbelievable and all the multi-million dollar brands that you have built, which is beyond fascinating. And so my first question to you, my friend, is going to be, what inspired you on your journey to where you are today? Window cleaning is what inspired me because I first, you know, fell in love with entrepreneurship by cleaning windows. I was nine years old. I was in Harare, Zimbabwe, and it was a summer day and my mom refused to give me ice cream money. So in my mind, I was like, I cannot let my mom control my ice cream destiny. So I decided to start a business. I saw that my neighbor's windows were dirty and I went over and I pitched her and I'm not sure if it was because of, you know, pity or she really felt like I was a good salesperson. She said, yeah. And that very day I made my first five bucks in entrepreneurship and I was hooked. And, you know, throughout that summer, me and my friends ended up washing maybe 20 to 30 houses because I quickly realized I didn't enjoy cleaning windows, but I enjoyed the selling piece and I recruited two of my friends so they would clean the windows and I would do the sales pitch. So, so that's how I started this entrepreneurial journey because it was at that point that I learned that, you know, if you solve people's problems, right, you get rewarded for it. And that's what entrepreneurs are. We are problem solvers who are just adding value into the marketplace, but you're really fundamentally solving a problem. And that's how the story started. That's amazing. And you said you were nine years old in Zimbabwe and you came up with this business idea of cleaning windows. Yeah. So simple, but so brilliant. And to have that mindset at that stage to say how hey, I'm going to recruit people because I don't like actually doing this, but I like selling it is so brilliant. I love it so much. So now you've got to tell me what, what happened next after the windows. How did that all progress in your journey? Yeah, well, so obviously, you know, that summer I made decent money. I, I didn't have to bother my mom for ice cream anymore, but the seed for entrepreneurship was firmly planted. I, I kind of like knew what I wanted to, to be, but then something drastic happened a year later, which is I met a girl, right? It all comes with a girl, <laughs> but it wasn't like in the sense you're thinking about, right? It was just a 10 year old, just like me, but she wasn't going to school. And in my mind, I was kind of like wondering, like, is she homeschooled or whatnot? Because every day when I'd go to school, I would always see her and her siblings playing in pajamas. And one day I just decided to go there and just kind of like sauce out how come they weren't in school uniforms like the rest of us walking to school early in the morning. And what I realized at that time was that you know, she had lost both of her parents. Her name was Sarah. And, you know, Sarah and her siblings were, were orphans. But 
unlike the United States where public education is free, in third world countries like Zimbabwe, unfortunately it's not. So her grandma could only provide food and shelter, but she couldn't provide the money required for Sarah to go to school. I asked Sarah a question that changed my life. And the question was, what do you want to be where you grow up? And I thought Sarah was going to tell me like, I want to be like Pamela and be a real estate investor, (laughs) or I want to be a pilot, you know, a president, a doctor, a lawyer. And what Sarah told me that time was disheartening because she looked at me and she said, Kuda, both my parents are dead. I don't go to school. I'm just waiting to die. And in my mind at 10, I started thinking, I'm like, wow, like, why isn't the government doing something about it, right? Why aren't the business people, because I would see all the business people driving Mercedes Benzes and things like that. Why aren't they doing something to help kids like Sarah? But more importantly, why isn't society as a whole, like the community stepping in to help? And what that sparked in me, it sparked a desire to actually become successful, but use that success to change lives. I was actually pissed, you know, like I remember walking back home, I was like really angry, like why aren't people like doing something to help Sarah and their siblings. And I quickly reconciled that if the people in Zimbabwe couldn't do it, I need to leave Zimbabwe and make it somewhere and then use that to make a difference. Cause you know, I, I kind of like was like, well, if the people here can't do it, well, I think I need to leave and, and make a difference. And that's how my dream of coming to America was born really. It was really out of that. And also watching Will Smith, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I was like, all right, I want to go to to Bel-Air or or Miami or whatever it is, because it seems like a fun place. But anyway, that was kind of like the next thing. So I was like, hey, I love entrepreneurship, but let me go become an entrepreneur in the U.S., become successful in the U.S., and then use, you know, whatever profits I I, I make over there to make a difference in, in my homeland. The challenge with that was that I came from a poor family, right? I, I wasn't living in the African ballet by, by any stretch. You know, we were a single income household. My mom, you know, she, she struggled with an illness that made her not go to work. She had to quit her job. And it was just my dad and, and five kids. I have four sisters. So we're quite a big family. So my, my parents did what they could to feed us and also provide us education, but that's all they could do. And now if you think about getting an American education, that was a whole nother level, right? And it was what people would say an ambitious dream. And uh, a lot of my friends and my peers and, and even my, my, my teachers would always say like, hey, Kuda, you need to be realistic. That American dream of yours, uh, it might not work. And I guess in their point of view, they were just trying to protect me from being disappointed if it actually didn't happen. But thank God I didn't listen to them and I I listened to my heart. And I would always tell them like, hey, I'm going to make it work. I'm going to figure it out one way or the other. That was just my stance throughout high school. So, you know, the next thing is I'm I'm graduating high school and my quest of coming to America had to fully begin. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Our lives are very parallel in uh, in a way. So I had mentioned to you that I, I was born in Albania, came here when I was about five years old, and I had the same mentality since I was a kid. You know, I used to see things and I'm like, why is this like this, right? 
Why are these people suffering? Right. And it's like, then you say, I'm going to be so successful that I want to come back, take that success and then do good things with it. So it's so funny, like our parallels with that, because my thought process was exactly the same. It's like, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30. And I'm just going to like do whatever. And I'm going to basically just make the world great and laugh and have fun and, you know, no pain, no suffering, no whatever. So that was my dream too, my friend. So I thought it was really, really cool that you had thought outside yourself. And especially at such a young age, at 10 years old, that you were, that you were exposed to that. Yeah, that became my obsession. And when I graduated high school, you know, when all my other friends were now kind of like taking the summer break and getting ready to go to university in Zimbabwe, for me, it was like, okay, it's day one of the rest of my life. I need to start really like digging in and really figuring out like, really, how am I going to go to America, right? Because if you think about the college tuition, there was no way we, we could afford it. I had to get a full ride or something in order to make it happen. So it meant that the hard work began. And it really led to a period where I started realizing that in life, you shouldn't really focus on the resources, not saying that resources are not required, they're not necessary, they're not important. But if you focus on the resources or the lack of, it will actually inhibit your creativity. Yes. Because I knew that in order for me to come to America for college, I needed to study for my SATs. I needed to apply to colleges, but I didn't have internet. That was the resource I didn't have. We didn't have any internet at home. And while all my friends were now saying like, well, I don't have any internet, so I'm not going to apply. I shifted the question to how can I get access to internet? Right. So instead of you saying like, I cannot afford something, you should be asking yourself, how can I afford it? Yes. And an idea came to mind to me, which was there was this small internet cafe in the city, like in the middle of the central business district. And I went to them and I was like, guys, I think I can help you make more money. The entrepreneur in me, right? Because I knew if I said, can you give me a job? He could say like, oh, we're full. You know, we don't have any spots. So I wanted to position it as a no-lose scenario for him because you should always, when you're pitching partnerships, ecosystem mergers, or you're trying to to strike a deal, I know a lot of people always talk about win-win, but there's also a concept I like to call no-lose, where like for him, it'd be like, oh, okay, well, I have nothing to lose. I might as well do it because if it works out, we there's tremendous potential, but if it doesn't work out, I don't lose anything. So what I positioned to him was like, dude, listen, you close your internet cafe at 6 p.m. I'm willing to work night shift. So you open up a new revenue stream because you're missing out on a lot of traffic, right? People who, you know, finish work at 6 p.m. and now want to come to use the internet from 6 to 7 or 8 or whatever, I'll be your night shift guy. And, you know, we'll have to hit certain amount of revenue in order for you to pay my salary. So if you think about it, I basically pay for myself if we hit X, right, of number of users per day. And if not, if it's not working, then we can really look into what else we can do. So he was like, all right, cool. You can work from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. That's your shift. Here are the keys. That's what I wanted. I wanted to have the keys to the internet cafe because then I would go there, work for five hours. I didn't have any breaks because it was only short. 11 p.m., lock it up. I would sleep in the internet cafe, right? So I wouldn't go home at 11 p.m. And now I had access to free internet, right? 
from 11 p.m. until six in the morning when the new, the morning shift people would come in. So I would have seven hours of internet every single day, which enabled me to study for my SATs, research all the colleges that I needed to and submit all the applications. And it was just a shift of not focusing on the resources, but being resourceful, which is a very huge difference, right? Like in your line of work, a lot of people will be like, hey, I don't have money to get into real estate. I don't have money to do this and that. Well, you can get into real estate without investing your own money, right? You can actually start becoming a real estate investor and owning properties by being resourceful. So that was an interesting part of my journey. But, you know, like any story, right, there's always that wrench that's thrown into it. And the wrench was my parents literally begged and said, like, Kuda, can you have a plan B? Mm. And I remember, like, arguing with them. I was like, Mom, you know, my plan A to plan Z is going to America. Like, my plan B is going to America. My plan C is going to America. You know, that that's, but they were like, you need to have a backup. You need to have a backup. But deep down, I knew, like, if I started kind of like, you know, opting for other things or like having a backup, you, you start giving yourself, you know, windows of opportunities to, to, to perhaps give in to second best and not really just keep pushing for the best. But I did it to honor my parents. And ironically, I get accepted into the uh, best university in Zimbabwe and funding was available. So now I have this opportunity to go study engineering with you know zero risk. The funding is there. All I just had to do was sign the paperwork, register for classes, and I'm in. Mm. And my parents were like, Kuda, this is a no-brainer, right? Take it, take it, take it. And it was kind of like at a time where I was like feeling down. I think about four or five universities had replied at that time and they'd given me like a thousand dollars in scholarship here 2500 in scholarship there but the total bill was like 40,000 so it wasn't even like scratching the surface right so I went to this school and I registered for classes and while I was there like completing my registration and about to go apartment hunting I literally pulled a wolf of wall street scene. So you know that scene where he's he's supposed to come and say like, you know, I'm leaving, I've struck a deal with the SEC and the thing, and then he just goes like, I'm staying. That's exactly what I did. I was like there and I'm like, you know what, this is not for me. I call my parents, I'm like, I'm coming back. Like, I'm not doing this. And I had registered, I had a student ID, everything. And I literally was just like, I'm not doing it picked all my bags up, went back home, and I'm like, this is my plan. What makes it a little bit interesting is that from that day that I was like the wolf of Wall Street, it took me two years between that moment to when I finally then got a Dean's scholarship uh, to the college that I ended up going to. So if you think about it, now think about two years where you had gone and you had registered for your classes at this school and all the other schools are replying. They're not giving you the funding that you need to even get a visa. Now people are are going like, dude, we told you, right? You should have listened. You know, look at where you are now. You could have been in your second year in university studying and you haven't even started. 
And it was just kind of like bombarded with, you know, all these statements that at some point you you start feeling like some self-doubt, but I didn't give into it because I had so much conviction that I was like, if it takes me five, 10 years, I'm committed to this now. I've sacrificed so much that it doesn't make sense for me to give up. Yeah. And if I just keep knocking on the door, at some point it'll fall, right? You just keep banging on that door and it'll fall. And it fell. And I ended up getting uh, that uh, scholarship and someone else who had really paid close attention to my journey was able to cover the difference. And by covering the difference, I was able to get my visa and come to America. I came to America with $40 in my pocket. That's all I had. And, you know, I was happy because I was like, you know what, I'll take my $40 and, you know, my freshman year paid up um, and I'll go, you know, start. And, you know, that's all I need. I don't need to come with $10,000 or anything like that. Just that $40, as long as I can get toothpaste, a toothbrush and, you know, some, some soap, I'm good. And, you know, like they say, the, the, the rest is history. That's amazing. Oh my God. I love it so much. I love it so much. And my question for you is how did you stay motivated throughout that whole process? Because as you were going through these rejections, right. And there's so many people, especially entrepreneurs out there that are listening right now that, you know, when you're constantly dealing with like these walls that come up or these obstacles, like how do you keep pushing forward? Like, was there a specific person that kept you motivated or was there a specific mantra that you gave yourself and you're like, nah, I'm doing this. Like, it's always so interesting to me to be like, what really propelled you to keep going forward? Cause that's the hardest part, right? Yeah. So it wasn't easy. I'll tell you that, right. When you're in the midst of a fire or a war rather, right. It's, it's tough, right. Cause you're like fighting, you're battling and whatnot. So it wasn't easy. There are certain things that I did that at the time I didn't know what they were called. But now, like having gone through like a lot of professional development stuff, I now know what it, what it's called. So for example, visualization. Yes. I would visualize myself like walking on campus, like, you know, talking to people, have, having friends and, and all of this. And because I would do it as a thing, like I would always do it. Like, remember I was working at this internet cafe. So I was in this internet cafe by myself. So I'm looking at the internet, I'm looking at the campus, the virtual tours. I'm by myself and I'll just start visualizing myself like it's real. And by just doing small things like that, which, which actually made it tangible to me to like, oh, wow, I'm experiencing it. That was kind of like one of the key things that I did. I also read a lot of biographies of like a lot of successful people, you know, especially African entrepreneurs. And as I was reading some of their journeys and what they went through, uh, you know, it was like, wow, like you know, like, look at what he had to go through. Some people were put to jail, they were persecuted, that, you know, they, they suffered 10 times more what I went through. So for me, it made, it made it seem as if like, what I was going through was this, and they went through this. And, you know, if, if they could do it and, and survive, I think, I think they, you know, that they could do it. But one of the most important things that I did, which I'm really, really happy that I did, is I changed my environment. What do I mean by that? I stopped hanging out with the people that were negative and toxic. Mm. So those people who'd always tell me discouraging things, I stopped hanging out with them because why 
expose myself to negativity when when I could go to to positivity. So what I did is I joined a group. It's called uh, USAC, and it stands for you know the United States Advising. Uh, education center. So the United States Embassy in Zimbabwe, they have this educating center where uh, people who want to study in America, they can go there, register as members, and you can have like resources and and you actually talk to, you know, Americans who work for the embassy who can guide you throughout that process. So a lot of the like-minded people, right? Students my age who wanted to come study in the U.S. were members of this, uh, you know, center. So I'd go there regularly. So, you know, we'll just kind of like feed on each other's energy and passion. And for some people, it was super easy, right? They apply, they get a full scholarship and they're out, you know, but you see that, okay, you know, John has gone, it's possible, right? By being in an environment where you actually see like it's possible for other people, it's it's happening, you know, you just continuously push and, and learn um, and you just know that your moment is coming too as well. So as an entrepreneur, what I would highly recommend is, you know, change your environment, surround yourself with other entrepreneurs and other people who've been there, done that, get a mentor, because when you change that environment and you start seeing what's possible and you, you are surrounded by people with positive energy, you know, they say your vibe attracts your tribe. So, so I wasn't the only one who wanted to come to America and was willing to do whatever I want, I needed to do to make it happen. So I surrounded myself with more of those people. And that was really my support system and my motivation. That's incredible. And you landed a full scholarship exactly where you wanted to be, which is incredible. Yeah. So it wasn't a full scholarship. Certain person who had seen my journey then actually gave me the difference. Wow. But it was just for my freshman year. So they were like, hey, we'll cover the difference for your freshman year. But for your sophomore, junior and senior year, you're going to have to figure it out on your own. And for me, I was like, you know what, I'll take it. It happened. And, you know, miracles, literally, when I say miracles, miracles would happen, you know, and I ended up graduating fully, you know, everything fully paid, no debt, nothing. um, Because things were just happening that I couldn't even understand. Wow. So now you got to tell us about those miracles. I got to want to hear all about them. What was happening? Yeah. So, so, so one time um, I was walking in the library and I saw a girl crying. And, you know, I went over to him like, hey, why are you crying? She was like, oh, I won't be able to graduate because I failed my, you know, math requirement for my business degree. And I was like, okay. And this, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a freshman going into my sophomore year. Mm -hmm. Remember, and she's a senior and she couldn't graduate. And I go to her like, okay, well, why don't um, next semester, since you're going to have to come back and, you know, why don't I tutor you? Right. Because I, I was really good at math. Um, so I end up tutoring her. So, by the way, it's a class I haven't taken. <laughs> I would uh, get the syllabus from her and the book. And then I would study on my own the material that she's learning in class. And then I would tutor her in the library. And she ended up getting a B plus. I never told her about my situation that I needed money. I just tutored her. Uh, to get like, you know, side money. Like, so she was paying me, I, I think maybe 20 bucks an hour or something like that. Uh, but then for some reason, the way I taught her, she got it. And she gets a B plus, she had failed the class twice and she had missed out on graduating. But when I worked with her, she gets a B plus and she tells her dad, oh, yeah, 
uh, this kid tutored me and I was able to pass the class and the dad wrote a check, $10,000 as a thank you. What? So wow. things like that. Wow. So the, the, there was another scenario too. I, I went to school to study aviation and uh, business. I was a double major because I love to fly. And the dean of the school of AG, a, 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 aviation calls me and goes like, Kuda, there's an interview in Daytona Beach for a scholarship. You know, we just found out about it, whatever. We can have a plane ready for you. You and another student can fly to Daytona, do the interview and see if you get it. So like literally I'm walking on campus, I'm like, okay, I'm coming. And I had to go to the flight school, I had to get into the plane. We flew over to, to Daytona. I took the interview, I get the scholarship. And, you know, so, so things like that were just like happening. Like every semester, whenever I would need money, like something like that would happen. And what I needed was like literally provided and then I'm, I'm good, you know. And I also became an RA which took the room and board off and I was able to graduate, uh, everything paid off. Amazing. Oh my God. Isn't that incredible? Asking you shall receive, they say, right? Yeah. Yeah. Man. Whoa. Okay. All right. So now post-college, like your career journey, because you have quite an impressive resume, my friend, and you've done some really remarkable things. So how did your entrepreneurial journey sort of begin after, well, you've always been an entrepreneur, so it's not so much your journey. It's part of who you are, really. It's in your DNA. But what was the journey like for you after college? You know, where did you start? So, so let's actually start when I was still in college because it, it sets things up pretty well. So when I was in college, I started my second business, which was a social venture. So my first social venture, really, which was a t-shirt company. We, we donated a portion of our profits towards a scholarship program because remember, my motivation was Sarah and educating kids in Africa. So I started that business and that business ended up educating hundreds of kids in Africa. The reason why I'm sharing the story is because that actually led to my job. So remember, I was a double major aviation and business. I wanted to get into the airline industry. I wanted to be a pilot, blah, blah, blah. But I also was a business major because I knew like, you know, with the aviation industry, I really wanted to, to get into business. It was more for hobby, the flying than it was kind of like my destiny, so, so to say. I had a job offer at Airtran Airlines. I don't know if you remember Airtran. It was like a low cost carrier. I think they got acquired by Spirit. And then I got hired by a fairly large Fortune 500 company. And what they liked about my experience was that I was an entrepreneur. They'd set up a small division called Transformational Innovation. And the task for this division was to launch new businesses. So I'm like, okay, shall I fly planes or shall I get into business? I decided to get into business because I wanted the opportunity to then build businesses on, other, on someone else's budget, right? So this is a multi-billion dollar company. And they're basically saying like, hey, Kuda, can you go like, you know, come up with ideas. And then when you come up with these ideas, if you pitch them successfully to the CEO and the chairman, you're given money to actually go launch it. I was like, all right, I'll take it. It's a dream job, right? Who in their career at like 22 years old gets to work in a multi-billion dollar company launching new businesses, right? So I, I took that position and it was probably one of the best decisions I ever made in my life because I was able to spend over a decade in corporate America 
in a multi-billion dollar company, really learning what it takes to, you know, manage a, a Fortune 500 company. But more importantly, taught me how to launch businesses from scratch, literally to take ideas on a napkin and bring them to market following, you know, a classic CPG uh, process with an entrepreneurial twist to it. The ideas that I worked on and actually took to market was Crock-Pot Cuisine. So if you're familiar with the brand Crock-Pot, when we were looking at it and looking at ways we could actually transform uh, that business, we're like, hey, if you look into Keurig, right, you buy the K-Cup and also the brewer. So they make money both on the brewer and the K-Cup. With a slow cooker right now, when people use it to make a meal, why not part of that experience, right? People go buy their own ingredients at the supermarket, but we know slow cooking more than anybody else. So we should be the ones who are actually with that process. So I created a line of slow cooked meals that were frozen and people could order them online and would ship them directly to, to their house. And it was something that I created soup to nuts, right? I got a little bit of help obviously, but I was the project lead and we took that business from zero over 20 million in annual revenue in less than three years. And we, we ended up having a strategic alliance with Omaha Steaks. So if you go to omahasteaks.com and search slow cooker meals, that's the business that I built. That was one, right? So it's like, oh my God, launching a food-based e-com business into the marketplace, that, that was uh, really amazing. And then the second business I worked on was a partnership with Anheuser-Busch. And that was a really interesting uh, partnership in, in many regards, mainly because we got to partner with a big beer brand, right? Ionizer Bush, talk about the best of the best when it comes to, you know, brand equity and, and launching beer brands. And through that experience with them, I was able to uh, really get a taste of, you know, how merging ecosystems, working with partners works. And the Draftmark tap system that I launched with Ionizer Bush. So it was an at-home draft system where you would then put like this like capsule of beer that we created and you could just use it as a, as a beer tap. And this is Crock-Pot Cuisine where you would get this nice box of, you know, frozen ingredients and then you just throw them into your slow cooker and voila, you'd be able to you'd be able to get your slow cooked meal fairly quickly. So I wanted to share that uh, illustration of what we created with Anheuser Busch, but that was another business that we launched, and we launched it in Target and a bunch of liquor stores. And then I was able to be moved to the e-com business because at the time I was like, okay, I've created about four businesses. A couple of them didn't really become successes, like you know like any startup, but we had two major successes. And at that time, I was like, you know what? I want to learn how to really manage and, and grow an existing business. So I started managing one of our e-commerce divisions and I was managing about $80 million in revenue. So, so it was quite a substantial business and we grew the business on Amazon. We grew it on retail.com accounts like Walmart, Target, and a few other players. And then also our own direct-to-consumer websites for all the different brands that we had in the portfolio, like Food Saver, Ball, you know, the Mason Jars, and a few other brands. So I, I got real good understanding of how to manage a PL, how to, you know, oversee and, and, and manage a team. But it was a big business, you know, you know, when, when you're responsible for, you know, about $80 million in, in revenue, it's, it's, it's a lot of money. So, so you know, it, it came at a, at a really good point in, in, in my life at, uh, at that time.
That's incredible. That's incredible. I love that you had stepped into the world of entrepreneurship even after you graduated with on such a massive scale. That is just, I find that so fascinating and, and your success throughout all of them and with the big names and everything, which is super amazing. And I mean, another thing too, is I know that you mentioned to me your own business, which is unbelievable, which I'm sure I would love to hear all about, but it's just fascinating to me how you've been able to take, you know, like here I am thinking of you, like this was the kid in Zimbabwe who was washing windows and he is now managing 80 million in revenue. So for anyone out there who's listening right now, like Kuda is like the underdog, like this man right here is so incredible. And just his journey and just your thought process. I just respect that a lot because I know what it takes and I know how hard it is to go from the bottom up. And like, I just think it's just remarkable. And I mean, you're going to continue to soar and succeed. I mean, this is, you were only scratching the surface, my friend. So now after you launched all these massive businesses, what happened? I know I was getting ahead of myself when I mentioned unbelievable. I just think it's so fascinating. <laughs> so a few things happened. And one of the things that happened was, was quite tragic. Picture this. You're in sunny Florida during the winter, right? So the weather is perfect. You're in Tampa Bay area, because that's where I actually was. And, you know, you're on a boat with your friends and, you know, you're enjoying life. Life is good. And, you know, you come back home after spending the whole day fishing and on the boat, you go to sleep and around three o'clock in the morning, you get a call. And, you know, I, I look, it's my sister from Zimbabwe calling. So obviously I pick up. And she's crying. I'm like, what? You know, what's going on? And she tells me my eldest sister had just passed away. So for me, it was just kind of like, what? Things happen so quickly. So what had happened was a dog bit her. The dog had rabies. The guy who owned the dog bribed a vet. And the vet said that the dog was good. So my sister didn't really bother getting a a rabies uh, vaccine. The thing with rabies is that if you're not treated in 24 hours, that's it. So two days later, my sister passed away. I'm sitting here, I'm like, what just happened, right? I fly back home to Zimbabwe and I'm at my sister's uh, memorial. And I start thinking to myself, was my sister fulfilled? Was she happy? Did she get to, number one, find out what her life purpose and her life calling is? Did she, number two, get to actually act on it, right? To actually fulfill her purpose. And, you know, was she able to achieve her purpose, right? She was young. She was about 40 years old. And it put me on this kind of like quest because I I had really been focused on success, right? Climbing the corporate ladder, launching these multi-million dollar businesses, managing this e-com division and just generating a ton of revenue and profit, you know, six-figure salary, you know. For someone who came to America with $40 in my pocket, you know, I, I had achieved the American dream, right? I started realizing that, you know what? My purpose of coming to America was, remember, to help those in need. And that is what truly gave me fulfillment. That's why when I was in college with 150 bucks, I started that t-shirt company where we educated hundreds of kids. Yes. And here, here I'd spent over a decade in, in a Fortune 500 company, And I started thinking to myself, I need to figure out how I can balance success and fulfillment. Because I was at a stage in my life where I was just focused on 
chasing success and that big check and the promotion, the, the bonus and uh, all these other things, which are good, right? Don't get me wrong. In life, you need those types of resources to look after your family and, and invest and whatnot. But I was neglecting things that gave me fulfillment, things that gave me happiness, which is giving back and making a difference. So I went on a journey to really figure out how to do it. And that journey led to this. I wrote a book called The Spear Method, Five Simple Steps to Balance Success and Fulfillment, because I learned quite a lot along the journey. I, I was able to meet people who had been able to deal with you know, so much adversity, like a guy called Sean Callagy, you know, he was on his way to be drafted into the MLB, but he had this uh, eye, you know, disease where he was losing his sight. So he was dropping uh, balls and not catching them, but he went on to become a successful lawyer and has been able to launch this movement called Unblinded and, you know, be super fulfilled, although life dealt him a very difficult hand, right? You know, so, so learning from people like him and other, you know, professional athletes. I, I got to interview James Jones, who used to play for the Miami Heat and uh, won the championship twice with the Heat and the other time with the Cleveland Cavaliers with LeBron James. And to just learn his story of like how he came from the projects to become a, you know, a successful player, but he gives back. He, you know, he spends his entire summer doing these summer camps, giving back to kids in his old neighborhood. And, and so many other people. And it really became clear to me that I had to leave corporate America. I had to start something else, you know, that really enabled me to be both successful and also fulfilled. But at the time, I didn't really know what. Luckily, I got a phone call. I was told about, you know, an idea that was brewing, right? There were a couple of guys who had read about a group of nuns that were being evicted and the whole thesis was, hey, can we create a Bombas-like business, right? Buy one, give one type of business that helped fight hunger because these nuns that were being evicted, they were selling cookies and using the proceeds from the cookie sales to feed people in San Francisco. Mm. And, you know, this guy who had the vision for it put a seed investment into the business and he was able to partner with another gentleman. So they had the vision, they had the money, but they didn't have the entrepreneur, right? Mm. So that's when my name came up. So like, hey, there's a guy who started a social venture before. He launched a food business. So, you know, they wanted to create a cookie company. So I knew food and he also did it online and they wanted to start as an online business. So they called me up and they're like, hey, do you want to be one of the co-founders for, for an unbelievable? This is the concept. This is what we're working on. And for me, it was a no brainer, mainly because when I was growing up in Zimbabwe, I personally experienced hunger myself. With a huge, huge drought um, when I was a kid. And I know what it feels like to go to bed on an empty stomach. And it's a feeling that I do not wish on anybody else. And for me to think about, hey, I could actually apply my talents, my knowledge, and all the things that I've learned in corporate America to actually save people from experiencing what I experienced when I was growing up in Zimbabwe, but while creating value at the same time, what could be more exciting? So I quit my job in corporate America and I came and, and I partnered with these guys. And the guy who was, you know, the brain behind this, the think tank was Tony Robbins. He's the one who found out about the nuns. He went out and he held the nuns. It's quite documented actually. 
And he kind of like had the vision to create an unbelievable, but Tony's Tony, he's busy. He's, you know, doing thing with his events and whatnot. And he reached out to Michael Loeb. Michael Loeb is one of the guys who started Priceline.com, super successful entrepreneur. And together they created an unbelievable. And I was brought in with, with my business partner, Brian Janesco, who I launched Crockpot Cuisine with because we had the food experience and more importantly, the passion and desire to really fight hunger. We've started working on uh, building Unbelievable ever since. And what Unbelievable is, we're a mission-based cookie company and we donate a meal for every cookie that we sell. And we're able to do that by working with both large and small organizations. So we work with organizations as large as Feeding America. Feeding America is one of our partners uh, that we work with. World Vision, another big organization, is, is another partner of ours. And also smaller organizations that do things on more of kind of like a local grass, grassroots level, like Joshua's Heart Foundation that was started by a five-year-old. So it's a food bank in Miami that was started by a five-year-old. We work with them as well and a few others. And because we work with these, you know, organizations, they're able to get food, you know, at a relatively affordable rate which enables this one-for-one one, uh, factor. And, you know, Unbelievable, it's, it's a fairly young organization. We've been in market for slightly over a year now. And, you know, in our first year of full operation, we're able to donate over 300,000 meals. Our target is we want to feed 10 million Americans in the next 10 years because the issue for the hunger issue in America is quite big. More than 40 million Americans uh, struggle with hunger. And this was pre-COVID, Feeding America actually projects that that number is now around 54 million. And it's quite a large number. So, you know, as an entrepreneur, I want to solve that hunger problem to the best extent that I can, but also while delivering a delicious product to our customers so that we're creating value in that regard. I absolutely love that so much. I love the mission. I love how you got involved in it and how everything comes full circle. Right. And like, mm -hmm. thank you for being humble and just like being honest and being like, Hey, I was that kid. Right. I was that kid that, that went through this. So I want to make sure nobody else ever goes through that. And um, similarly with you, and every time you, you mention things with your story, I'm like, Oh my God, there's so many parallels between me and him. <laughs> I had a similar experience, you know, when I've watched somebody, my, my grandfather, you know, pass away right in front of me. I took his last breaths when he was dying, literally. And it's like, you know, it made me realize, and this was in 2017, 2000, you know, 2017 is when he passed. And for me, it was like, you know, everyone who's around him right now, nobody's talking about money. Nobody's talking about how many hours you work. Nobody's talking about all these things is what I had realized was in, in my career, I was focused on the same thing, success, 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 keep going up, keep going up, and not thinking about Pam, why did you want to be successful in the first place? A, to take care of your family and make sure they never have a bill to worry about, you know, because they gave the sacrifice of coming to the U.S. and doing all this for you. And then B was just to create a better world where people can just be their authentic selves and just go out there and kill it, right? And mm -hmm. being that resource and that model. And that's when I came up with the podcast, this podcast was I wanted to give back through stories. Because like you mentioned, it was the stories that you read about that made you feel like you weren't alone in the process, you were like, while wow, they were persecuted, what I'm going through is like a smidge, right? Mm -hmm. It's just funny, our, our, our parallels are really crazy similar, 
but you have such a beautiful journey and I respect it so much. What's really next in, in your world? You know, what's coming up next for you in, in your amazing journey? You know, what's next is really just to continue moving in the, in the direction that we've set forth, right? Continue to grow non-believable, uh, continue to serve our customers, uh, both the ones that buy the product and the ones that we serve. And with, with that regard, I mean, to the people that get to benefit from the meals that we donate. So we really want to grow and scale the business. We've been selling digitally native. So on our website right now, so the idea is to scale into retail. So I want you, Pamela, as you're walking in your favorite uh, store, be it Whole Foods or whatever, I, I'm not quite sure where you shop, but wherever that is, I want you to see an unbelievable cookie section in, in whatever favorite uh, grocery store, supermarket, or you know department store that, that you go to. So that's the next thing for us. And we want to scale in terms of going beyond just cookies into other baked goods as well, because we feel that there's, a, there's an opportunity to, to expand in, into other categories as well, because what we have fundamentally is more like a framework, a business model on how to go to market, and we can apply it across many different products. And like I said earlier, like our North Star is 10 million. How can we feed 10 million Americans that struggle with food insecurity right now? And until we achieve that goal, that's, that's going to be our number one focus. And, and once we achieve that, we can kind of like pull our heads up and say like, okay, should we now focus on a hundred million? Should we now, you know, focus on a billion? I don't know what that next number would be, but in the near term, well, we're laser focused on a hundred million and we're going to be applying a full court press to figure out how we can accelerate to get to that number. And right now we want to do it within, within the next three years. I love that. And I know you'll get there. Anything you touch is gold, my friend. So I'm sure you'll get there just in time. That's all. I think it's just time for you. And now my, my last question for you, which I love so, so much. And I ask everybody this is what, based on what you know now, what would your older self tell your younger self? Nothing. Nothing? I Nothing. I, I think the beauty is in the journey. I think the beauty is in the discovery and, you know, figuring things out, right? It's, it's like, why would I want my 50-year-old self to give me advice on how to become successful? No. Yeah. You know, I want to figure it out and, and be in the moment of figuring it out because, you know, that's how you get to craft a beautiful story. And that's how you get to show up 100% every single day. So, you know, I know it's a common question that people ask, but in all honesty, I actually wouldn't want to tell my younger self anything because if I probably had told him something, maybe he wouldn't be here today. Like it, it seemed as if, you know, I, I was able to navigate the obstacles that I faced in a good way, which has landed me where I am today. Not saying I could have achieved more, probably, but I also could have maybe achieved less. But nonetheless, I think I've, I've landed in where I need to be. I am where I need to be right now. So I, I wouldn't tell younger Kuda anything. I love that. I love that. Everyone perspective, everyone's perspective is different. That's why I love asking the question. Oh man, Kuda, you're amazing. And now where can all the listeners find you, my friend? Yeah, my home address is, I'm just joking. <laughs> they can find me on Instagram. Uh, so K-U-D-A-B-I-Z-A, Kuda Biza. Uh, you can find me on Instagram there. You can also go to my personal website, spearmethod.com. So the title of my book, so spearmethod.com. 
you'll be able to check me out and you know see what I'm doing and and my book and all that good stuff. And then if you want to support the movement for Nonbelievable, you can just go to nonbelievable.com. So N-U-N, like a nun, and believable. So nonbelievable.com. And, you know, you can grab a box of cookies. And if you use the code underdog, you'll get 20% off by just using the code underdog, which is exclusive for the underdog podcast. Thank you so much, Kuda. I appreciate you. I love your story. I love what you're about and I love where you're heading. So my friend, thank you for being here today from the bottom of my heart and from all of the listeners. I know that they loved your story and everything that you are. So thank you. Keep doing amazing things in the world. Thank you for having me and keep doing what you're doing and promoting all the underdogs. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift and join us on the next episode. Mm -hmm.